for the next slide. Well, just this year, we've noticed that our kindergarten students, 98% of our kindergarten students are reading at grade level. It's a great indication of what the reading level will be when they get to third grade, when they start that high. And in second grade, we have 94% of our students are, are reading at grade level. So we're very, very proud of that. And a lot of the work that we've done in our strategic plan over the last couple of years has gone into um, making sure that our students are ready. Um, the next slide, um, you know, I, I've lived here for 22 years, over 22 years now, as of about a week ago. And I had the opportunity to raise my two kids in this community and I've always uh, enjoyed this community. And um, one of the reasons why I feel passionate about the school district is because we have always had a dedicated staff. And our staff, um, our teachers alone have 1,723 uh, years of experience in teaching, in teaching staff. We're well known throughout the state for holding on to our staff members. Um, we don't have a lot of turnover, I think. It's about a five-year gap. Most teachers stay about 10 years. Ours stay about 15 years on the average. Um, we also have about 78% of our teachers have um, uh, uh, graduate-type degrees, master's degrees, which just means they're, they're more trained than they didn't have. Um, I just put a picture up here and just sort of a, a push for our Strive for Five, which you've probably seen signs all over the town. Our Strive for Five campaign um, was a campaign to uh, reduce the amount of chronic absenteeism we had in our district, and we've seen some gains with our absenteeism. In fact, chronic absenteeism is if a kid misses more than 10% of school, and Astra, they cut that amount in half. It's close to like 13% instead of what it was, like about 26%. So we had done a lot of work on that, and a lot of the work has become, because of what the dedication of the staff has, has provided. Um, we're also, on the next slide, we're also very proud of the different partnerships we have in the school district. You know, the city of Astoria has been, been a great partner for many, many years, whether it's um, programs that we do together, sharing of space that we've done throughout the many years, um, or as you know, our last big one was the uh, partnership we had with the CMH Field Complex. Um, we are also very proud of other partnerships we have, including with CMH. Um, that again was a complex, but we also have a health occupation class that students participate in that help them with health careers. Um, another partnership with um, the college, on this slide right here, we have the last three years, we have 40, our high school students have earned 4,200 college credits as high school students. Um, if you've ever had kids go to college, that's quite a bit of savings for money if you have to send them off. I have uh, one parent informed me that well, I have two, two students this year that are going to school, uh, college, four-year colleges, and they start their junior year and they just graduated from high school. Um, we also, um, with that, most of our vocational type classes in our upper level honors type classes, students receive college uh, credit and including other, other ones there like agriculture, science, industrial arts, marine biology, and uh, we also have students who have participated in the class of work, the paid internship program this year. Um, you know, this, uh, we also have a partnership in Hampton. Lumber and Hampton Affiliates, and you'll notice on the slide there, there's a picture there. The district received about a $350,000 grant a couple years ago to create an engineering and technology lab. And a lot of the um, equipment in that lab, uh, kids participate in, and they do as part of a class, but it gives them skills to get you know, right out on the job market right away. And reading the Daily Astorian tonight with the increase in jobs over the next 10 years in our community, we feel um, through our facilities, and the programs that we offer that we can help with uh, creation of jobs, and I'll get into that here in a little bit. So I'll talk a little bit about our, our facility before the next slide. You know, for 
from a superintendent standpoint, what I want to do uh, in my leadership is, is I want to create a um, school district and programs that people will want to move to town and they'll stay here. And um, facilities can help with that as, long as, as well as hiring quality people and providing quality programs. As for a facility, we have a bond that's expiring in 2019. It was voted on by the public uh, close to 20 years ago, and that's expiring here in 2019. About two years ago, we took a look at that and set out to do some work with our, with our facilities in a long-term facility um, plan, as well as a facility assessment. The district received $75,000 worth of grants. <coughs> Three grants were the uh, seismic review of all of our facilities, as well as long-term facility plan and the facility assessment. With that grant, we were able to hire an architect firm. The unique about the architect firm, it's BLR and B, is the same architect firm that we worked with 20 years ago. So they came into the district um, and, and they knew what our, our, our facilities looked like and we could go on uh, with that work right away. About a year ago at this time, it was early fall, the district created a facility, um, a district facility committee and the district facility committee is made up of 30 uh, either staff members, community members, uh, business owners in the community. And I, the original group was set to be 20, but I was told to go get 30 just in case 10 dropped out. Well, I went and got 30 and nobody ever dropped out. And in fact, our facility meetings were uh, well attended. People were engaged um, throughout the whole process. This group um, met eight times during the school year, uh, spent over 25 to 30 hours looking at our facilities. We met at a different building each time. They reviewed the facilities, infrastructure, issues that the uh, architects brought up, and really spent time prioritizing projects that we really needed to do to benefit our students. And, and I'll get into a little bit of those projects. At that same time, we really spent a lot of time uh, engaging staff um, and engaging the community. We had two or three community meetings to, um, with the architects led that they uh, looked at our facilities. And then we also, the architects sat down with staff members numerous different times and talked about education and, and teaching and how facilities impact uh, student learning. Um, we also asked um, part of our community input had two uh, phone surveys. I don't know if anybody received those phone calls, but I did three times. <laughs> even though I created the survey, they still called me and I kept telling them not to. But um, we really wanted to narrow our focus. Our bond is set at $70 million. At one point, it was closer to about $88 million. But we knew we needed to get it down to about $70 million, which we think that the community can afford and what they've told us what they can afford. Um, so the facility committee had to do some work on narrowing the focus of that, of that uh, uh, ask for the community. Um, on July 23rd, our school board took action uh, to go out for a facility bond. We turned in our paperwork uh, last week to the county, and so we'll be on the election uh, beginning in November. Right now, we're in the point where we're just doing more community outreach. You're really our first major presentation. Tomorrow, I meet with Plattsburgh County Realtors. <coughs> Um, and from there, we probably have about 20 to 25 more presentations before the November uh, ballot. So we're just getting out and getting the word out. I, as a superintendent, can just talk about the projects. I can't tell you how to vote. Um, that's why I have these, uh, my school board behind me and others who will be up talking uh, at different times. So on the next slide, really what we have is three priorities. And, and it, you'll see them as I talk about the individual facilities briefly. These really are the three priorities that we'll look at. Our proposed facility bond is a accountable approach to ensure student and staff safety. 
The fact of the matter is that the schools are not the same as they were 20 years ago, even 10 years ago. We have to take um, uh, steps with our facilities to make sure that our facilities are, are um, safe. Um, you will see in each of our schools where we have what they call security festivals, and I'll talk a little bit about that later, but they're uh, a way to secure buildings to make sure we know who is coming in and out of buildings at all times. The problem is um, our buildings weren't built for these type of safety measures, so we're having to go back through the facility. Millions of dollars of that 70 is going to be spent on safety and security, whether it's uh, changes in the facilities to make them safer or um, security cameras, those type of measures to make sure they are safe. Um, the second priority is we'll address current facility issues and create building efficiencies so they do not become larger and most costly in our, in our, in our future. Our buildings on the average are 63 years old. Um, both both uh, Astor and Gray School were built in the mid-1920s. Um, these are old buildings, they're great buildings, built really well. Like Aster has the original boilers in them. Aster has the original windows in them. Those two things are really needed to, to really um, help that building so that it's, it keeps on working for us in the future. And as well as um, asbestos removal throughout the whole buildings. So that um, we feel that by putting some funds into those areas right now and creating efficiencies, it'll, it'll help the lifelongness uh, of our buildings last even longer. And then we also think that um, one of our priorities is as we strengthen access, access to technology through just infrastructure. All of our wiring is the same wiring that's been there, either Sluice Park for 20 years or other buildings. And so from an infrastructure technology standpoint, we're not up to speed on where we should be. And this comes back to there's some designs that we have in place facility-wise around technology that we think that we can help the job market locally um, by some of the things that we do within our own buildings, uh, better than what we're doing right now. So I just want to talk a little bit about the bond scope. On the next slide, uh, there's a couple things to notice here. One is I've, um, each of our buildings uh, is listed for new from Astro to K through two, and it talks about what the different grades are. And also on the very end of each one of those lines, uh, in parentheses, is the year that building was built. Um, so you can tell just by those slides themselves, um, they are very old, old buildings. Um, so go ahead and let's go to the next slide. So I'll talk a little bit about Aster. Aster's the one building that um, has potential to have them uh, to be at capacity. We'll probably only have one extra classroom there this year. Um, at the same time we're dealing with that, we have what is called, or we have two gyms there. One of the gyms is called, the, uh, uh, people refer to it as the old gym. Well, the problem is, the problem is Skip Halkey, who is the chair of our, our yes vote, um, when he was a young kid, and Skip's not an old guy. Don't tell him I said he was an old guy. But Skip refers to that when they were a kid as the old gym. So it's been a, it's been a really old gym for a long time. So that gym, had a, we had to make a decision as a facility committee either to recommend to tear that down or to do something with it because it needed something to be done. The wood, you can almost see through it in areas. Um, there's no heating system in there. That's too loud for kids to be in there. So what we decided to do is, um, to make that into a multi-purpose space, it'll be a cafeteria and a gym, and take uh, the uh, cafeteria area over at Astor, which has really low roofs like this room here, and they're gonna turn those into three different classrooms so to expand our space, which is very valuable because we don't have a lot of space to grow at Astor. It's a three-story building, but there's nowhere else to grow outward. So um, that will help us gain uh, three classrooms. Another one up there is a security vestibule. So the way security festivals work, and they'll be in all of our buildings, is when you walk into a building, you cannot walk into a hallway. 
When you walk into a building, the way it's designed, you walk you right into the office. You don't have a choice but go into the office. Now you walk into our buildings, you could go right, left, you can go anywhere you want. Aster is particularly a problem um, in the years because people stopped by because the kindergarten cop or the Goonies house was so close that at times, in peak times during celebrations, we've had to put extra people there so people just weren't wandering through our buildings. We put security vestibules in, you have no choice but walk into the office so they can find out why you're there. Um, so that's a, um, an attribute of all of our schools. Um, this one, exterior envelopes, uh, we need to replace the windows at Astor, the original windows, that's a spendy. Um, we've had, we have two boilers at Astor, one of them works, one of them is about the size of this room that does work, it's really, and versus other boilers we've seen that are, you know, five by five will heat a, a large building like that. Um, so we have some infrastructure around um, just our, our building envelope and our uh, building system upgrades that we need to do. Want to go to the next slide? And that just shows where the old gym is. Um, and then there's a long hallway down there. So go ahead and join the next one. Thank you. Lewis and Clark Elementary is our newest school. It was built as part of the last bond. Um, but again, when that was built, um, it wasn't built with the safety concerns that we have now that we, we did before, or we have now that we didn't have before 20 years ago. So that school has some upgrades right at the front of the school when you walk in. At Lewis and Clark, right now you walk into the front, all the other door, all the other doors are locked there. When you walk into the front, you can walk to the left, you can go straight to the library. This way, when you come in, it just puts you right into the office. You don't have a choice but go in there and they're going to find out why you were there. Um, that also has some, just some building up upgrades. We need to do some painting and things like that. So, but it's the least of our priorities. Astoria Middle School facility uh, committee, when one of the activities they had to do when they were all about the sixth, seventh meeting, when they're all done, was they had to prioritize which building had the biggest needs. Astoria Middle School had the biggest needs by far. Astoria Middle School, um, if you want to go to the next picture, because I'm going to talk about um, We have an instructional wing at Astoria Middle School that has 16 classrooms in it. Four of the classrooms are in the interior, have no windows to the outside, no skylights to the outside. Um, Twelve classrooms on the outside have one window that I think it's about a four by four, maybe a five by five window. That's the only windows that are in there. There's no daylight going in, as you can tell. And some of like the upper right-hand corner, one of the walls is the actual brick uh, of the wall. The classrooms are diamond-shaped or triangular-shaped. They're about 300 square feet less than what they should be. I've tried to get some pictures to show how crowded those classrooms are. Those classrooms right there have about 24, 25 kids in them. Um, some of our classes, to be honest, will, will get a little bit higher. Makes it awfully tough. In addition, we have some uh, settling or structural problems. At, uh, in that instructional wing, you notice the upper left-hand corner is just a straight uh, crease of where the building has settled. A couple years ago, to be honest, we had to bring uh, engineers in just to make sure that the building was structurally safe for kids to be in it. It is safe for kids to be in it, but we do have some structural issues in it. Um, so what we're, um, what we're asking for as part of the bond is just to tear that instructional wing down and build a new three-story uh, instructional wing. And I talk, I've talked a lot about you know, kids entering the building or, or staff entering the building and parents entering the building going to an office. James, you want to go to the next slide, I can show it. In the upper right-hand corner, would, it's, um, you see the black line on the outside? That's the current outline of our building. The, you'll see some, like the green classroom up at the top and the blue. That's the new instructional wing. It'll be three levels. Each of the levels have about six to seven classrooms on it. 
And not only does it have um, just classrooms, but there's a general area out there where students will have lockers or meeting areas in small group or large group. Not only is the uh, facility bond can help with uh, developing a facility that is safe, but you can also develop them so that their uh, kids connect with adults. And um, when we met with staff, it's one of the things they wanted was to be able to meet kids um, and talk to them one-on-one -on -one or in small groups. This type of design helps with that. The rest of the building will be modernized, um, meaning just up to date, uh, but that's the only building that we'd actually, part of that building that we tear down. We're not tearing down the whole middle school. We keep the gyms, we have two gyms there that are uh, widely used by the uh, Parks and Rec. Um, and um, then we have some hallways there that'll be covered um, so that it's a safe and it'll be modernized. That school right there has about 425 kids in it every single year. Astoria High School. Um, Astoria High School. People really don't want me to say this, but Astoria, because it's 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 a safety issue. But Astoria High School has 75 access doors into the building. It was built in 1958, um, and it wasn't built for safety concerns. Right now, we have, like I said, 75 doors. They've locked most of them. Um, this is another place where the architects have spent quite a bit of time on how they can't, we're not gonna tear it down and rebuild it, but what can you do with it that we currently have it now um, so that we can gain access into at least one point area uh, once school starts. And again, this building will also have a secure vestibule, so only can, parents, when they come in, can only walk into one area. What the architects have also done is, is that on the outside of the building, you can go to the next uh, frame, on the, Outside the building, I'm sorry this is not a close-up, but you'll see the yellow areas. Those will be outdoor walkways, but they're covered. Um, when they covered, then they go in, they connect one building to the next. I think that's three or four buildings there. But the, uh, the walkways will cover, uh, connect one building to the next, and they're covered, so people can't gain access from them. So really what we've taken at the high school and turned it into a donut, it's all enclosed. There's a you know, yard in the middle, but you can't gain access from the outside anymore um, with this plan. In addition, um, we're very proud of our um, music program. You know, we're one of the uh, smallest districts in the state that has an orchestra program. Um, we also have a band program and choral program. Um, we want to update those areas uh, because we have some scheduling issues. We can't have all three groups playing at one time. Um, and plus, we have a lot of outside groups that come in play, so we're going to add a, a music room. In the green area in the uh, lower left-hand corner, is um, we want to update our vocational areas. Right now we have a pretty strong industrial arts program, um, but we want to uh, create more of a career and technical education program uh, around uh, agricultural science, technology, engineering. Um, that goes back to uh, the district being able to provide skills for students to make them employee ready, employment ready or to go on to college and careers afterwards, either one of those. Um, so uh, those are the, and then the last one is Gray School. Use um, <coughs> Gray School. We have our alternative ed program. It's a countywide high school alternative ed program. The district office is there. And any given day at Gray School, we have about 200 to 250 students who go through that program. We've turned it into, a, uh, other than an alternative program, it is a pre-kinder program. The school district has a uh, preschool program with about 21 kids in it. The um, Port-a-play has anywhere from 75 to 100 kids on a daily basis. 
and growing or would like to grow even more because of the need, as well as Head Start and the ESD has a program there. That's another school that we just have some, um, we're not gonna put a lot of money into it, we just have some leaking on the, the building itself that we need to patch up, and plus some security issues around cameras there because we do have a lot of people at grade school coming and going because of the different programs. Um, so the last slide I have, it just talks a little bit about over the next five years, we'll rebuild and modernize our schools and provide safety and security for our students. Um, and the total investment in our community would be $70 million. Uh, the bond being considered would add a dollar per thousand assessed value. If the bond is successful, this is something new to us, if the bond is success successful, the school district will receive a $4 million grant from the state of Oregon. Um, that's as much as we could receive. It was done by a lottery and we were one of the six districts in the state who was going out for a bond, were able to receive the $4 million. So on top of the $70 million, we'll have an additional $4 million to spend. So that's just, just gives you some general uh, information about it. Uh, again, this is uh, the new rate will not go into effect until the prior bond expires. Um, so, anything else? Sure. I'll, um, uh, David Ozer, 254 West Irving. As Craig uh, uh, mentioned, uh, the district can do anything uh, in terms of providing information. The one thing it can't do is urge a yes vote. So we have formed a political action committee. Skip Hauke and I are co-chairing it. It's called Yes for Astoria Kids. We have raised uh, some funds to help us do targeted uh, advertising, media, um, uh, digital media, and uh, mailings and we'll be hopefully blanketing uh, the community to, uh, to get some to get our a yes vote out and to get our message out over the next few months. <clears throat> I just did want to point out that some people might say, well why, you know, why do you need so much money to, to work on these uh, to work on these buildings? Why aren't you doing this every year? Why aren't you continuing to to uh, upgrade the facilities? And the answer is that they're real this is for our school district or for every school district, the only way to get this kind of significant money in is through a capital bond. Our operating levy, over 80% of that goes for personnel costs, for salaries and benefits. There are kinds of maintenance that we can do uh, year in, year out, are the most basic kind of patching up the cracks. This, this stuff here that's, that's upgrading, that's modernizing, that's bringing our schools into the 21st century that's providing safety is something that can only happen through the proceeds of a capital bond of this nature. Thank you. I'm Jeanette Sampson, 723 Lexington Avenue, and I just wanted to um, remind everyone that, you know, this is as David and Craig have both said, um, an important thing that affects all of us within the city and beyond. Um, and the other piece of it is, all of these kids go to every one of these buildings. We don't have the neighborhood schools anymore, and so this affects everyone um, from kindergarten all the way up to 12th grade. So this is an important piece that we hope that people see the value of it and are willing to support this because we have worked very hard with the committee to make sure that um, we, we understand, you know, there's a lot of people struggling right now, but we don't want our kids to struggle on top of it with the structures themselves not being a fit for them. And I remember working in the Lewis and Clark School dodging buckets. And while it was, we tried to make it fun for the kids, and you know, 
it, it wasn't fun. It was, um, it was dangerous um, if it missed the bucket and there was a new leak, but it was also um, a health hazard for people. And we just want it to be where when people come here, we have a lot of people that um, come through with the Coast Guard. We have a lot of people that come through just transient and decide they want to live here. And we would like to have our schools be the pride of Astoria. Grace Lehman, uh, 415 Chinook, um, and I'll just reiterate what they have already commented on, but we appreciate your time tonight and allowing us to come in and present to you guys, um, and we encourage you to come out and look at the schools um, and see what we are talking about in person as well. Um, I think that um, this uh, bond is going to create a lot of uh, opportunities um, one of the things that David mentioned at a meeting not so long ago was that um, the facilities may, and I'm going to totally mince your words, <laughs> well, the facilities may not make the educational experience, they definitely enhance it and can enhance it. And so um, we, we um, just appreciate your time and um, your evaluation of the bond going forward, so thank you. So we did hand out a couple flyers that we use just as informational type flyers and there's actually a web page on there and if you'd like to provide contact or communication with that you can also. I will also, because we've talked, if there's any questions. Anybody have any questions? Sure, sure. Um, well, first of all, you have my vote and I would <laughs> urge <laughs> others to support the bond. You know, I can't well, we appreciate your husband was on the facility committee also. He was, yeah. And that was, that was a really neat eye-opening experience for him, you know, um, with three kids in your schools, you know, that makes it especially important for me to have the schools be safe, mm -hmm. especially in this day and age. Sure. Um, I was wondering, you said that you did a seismic assessment of the schools, yeah. and some of the schools include seismic upgrades with this bond. I didn't see Aster is having any seismic upgrades, so are those planned? From what I understand is the seismic upgrade at Aster was done with the bond 18 years ago, or 19 years ago. Um, but I, I would have to go back and look at specifics. Uh, all of our, when, anytime you do work like we're proposing to work, there are certain things you have to do around handicap access. The seismic is another area you have to make sure it's up to code. Um, so you know, if it's not up to code, it would be up to code with, through this bond process. Okay. Yes. Okay. Okay, well thank you all very much. Thank you for having us. We really appreciate it. Um, Norma Hernandez has something she wants to bring to the front. So. I'm here today with sadness and happiness. I have been working for the last five years with Angela Cosby and um, it has been such a positive experience and on behalf of our board we want to say to her what an honor who's working with you what a great lesson in education we all got in parks and we all got schooled about the right thing to do even when we didn't like it 
But she knew how to really talk to us and guide us in a way and explain things to us that make us. I never thought I would feel this passionate about a government committee. <laughs> <laughs> This is a little bit ridiculous that I could feel like that. Like, oh no, oh no. But I just wanted to say that I know that Steamboat is just getting a great parks and rec director. And I think your legacy here is just going to be you were a class act. And thank you for being a class act, being a great role model for girls in our community, being a great role model just for us citizens to be better stewards of our community, our city, and our parks. Just want to say we love you, we're going to miss you, and we wish you the very, very best. I would just add, echo Councillor Demnewell's comments about the school bond, and uh, even though my kids are all grown and out of the house, I'm just as strong a supporter as I would have been if my kids were still in school. And I think it's critically important that we take care of our schools. It's one of the most important fundamental parts of our community. Second. 
Um, Chief Gascoigne, roll call please. Councilor Hamilton. Aye. Councilor Brownson. Aye. Councilor Bryce. Aye. Councilor Jones. Aye. Mayor Aye. Uh, first, uh, regular uh, announcement. Uh, <laughs> regular agenda is Appeal 1802, consideration of findings. This was the meeting we had on last Monday. Right, and due to the type turnaround after the meeting a week ago today, more time is required to compile the findings for the uh, consideration of the appeal. And uh, it's anticipated they'll be included in your August 20th packet. Um, Mayor, we would like to be able to have a motion uh, to be able to bring that forward to the next meeting. And so let's ask for a motion that this uh, agenda item be forwarded to the August 20th 2018 City Council meeting. Okay, do we have a motion? Uh, I'll abstain from the vote as I'm marketing director of the co-op. I move we uh, move the appeal 1802 consideration of findings to the August 20th, 2018 meeting. Second. All those in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? Thank you. Okay, and we have a waterfront bridges replacement project update. This agenda item uh, is intended to be able to provide an update on the ODOT uh, replacement of all the waterfront bridges between 6th and 11th streets downtown along the Columbia River, as well as deal with some interim repairs which may or may not be needed uh, depending on uh, the timing of this project. And our assistant city engineer, Cindy Moore, will talk a little bit more about these issues. Cindy Moore, Assistant City Engineer. Um, and I'll be upfront that I really like to have a complete story for you when I come to you, but I really, I am coming with partial information to give you an update with what we know at this point. So the update from ODOT. On Friday, we received fantastic news that we have additional funding coming from the Bridge Group to cover this project. Um, however, we don't know any of the details about that additional funding. Um, we know enough that, the, that ODOT was able to issue an intent to award to Legacy Contracting, who was the low bidder, if you remember those bid results that came in. So um, we believe that we have enough funding to cover the, the bid that we received that was over our um, funding amount that you remember. But I don't know the amount yet. Um, that being said, keep in mind we're not in the standard ODOT process anymore. So I can't, typically I can predict what's going to happen next, and I don't know what's going to happen next. Um, we do know that we will need to provide a match for that additional funding. We, the original um, gap that we talked about was 2.2 million, so we believe it to be in the range, although I do expect ODOT to have some contingency involved with that 2.2, so it's going to be slightly over that. Um, when we were working with ODOT to, to um, secure those funds, we were advised by ODOT that it would be in our best interest to offer more than the standard 10.27% match on that additional funding. So we worked together, um, city manager and the finance director, to see where we could find more money. 
and we offered the $440,000 that you see here, which would be about twice as much as we would have expected to, to have to uh, match on the additional money. So keeping that in mind, that's that additional $2.2 million. That money will come from the $220,000 we expect to come from the IFA loan, so in addition to what we've already secured, and we've already had conversations with them about that being a feasible alternative strategy moving forward. We also have $100,000 in our road district fund in the contingency, and $120,000 in the Promote Astoria Fund contingency. So we did everything we could to try to show good faith that, um, as we were told, put more skin in the game to um, try to get ODOT to help us with this uh, funding that we needed, this funding gap. Um, we don't have an official item on the agenda moving forward. We wanted to, to present this strategy, strategy to you and hopefully get your concurrence as we will be like I said, I don't, can't predict the future, but we're gonna be doing things on a very quick timeline. As far as the project schedule, I can tell you that everyone on the team, including ODOT, including city staff, IFA, who's our funding um, agency, and Senator Betsy Johnson, we're all working to get this project going this fall. And as we've talked about in the past, that's gonna be huge for the city, that's a cost, cost savings moving forward. Uh, I don't know if that's going to happen yet. I don't have that answer. Um, but everyone is working hard to make that happen. What we're trying to get ourselves poised is to be able to um, answer any challenges that come our way, which will be to have that match available as soon as possible. It's my understanding, although again, we're in kind of a realm that I'm not familiar with with ODOT, is that we will need to have that match in place before they can award the project. They've given the intent to award, but they have not awarded the project to Legacy, so they don't have the contract documents in place. Um, before I move on to the repair project, we'll get into that. So what I see moving forward is we're going to need agreements with ODOT to increase the funding. We're going to need contracts in place for both our funding with IFA and the contract with the uh, contractor. and. Um, and making sure that our funding is poised, which will include a supplemental budget, and, and I think that's probably the least of our concerns, but uh, Finance Director Susan Brooks is already on that, um, making sure we have that in place. So with all those unknowns, you'll probably notice that the way that the council memo was written is that we also need to be poised if this project doesn't go. And what that means is uh, we originally had come to council with a strategy moving forward on the repairs on our waterfront bridges project. These repairs would be temporary to get us to the point of replacement. We had, we had all agreed on a strategy that was around the range of $25,000 to get 8th Street and 10th Street um, operational so they could function during construction. What came in, came in after that uh, presentation to council was the recommendations from our consultant OBEC what needed to be done to keep the trolley operational in between construction. That uh, We took that out for a quotes and awarded a contract for $42,000. Um, so that includes both those keeping the 8th and 10th operational and the trolley. So now we're in a position that if the 
bridges are not constructed this year, we need the, them to be operational for another year with these interim repairs. We've asked for a quote from the contractor um, who received the bids, or received, received a word of the quote, and he um, gave us our change order amount of, which I don't have in front of me, but maybe. 118,217. 118, okay. So the change order amount of 118,000 approximately um, would only, we would only authorize that if we received the final word from ODOT that we cannot construct this fall. And what we're asking council to do is to authorize the city manager to authorize that change order um, or give him the ability. What we don't have as our friend on this project is time. We have that deadline still of um, the September 1st, we got extended to September 15th. Whatever improvements are done by that September 15th, um, those bridges will need to be closed, which won't be a big deal if we're constructing, but will end up being a little more uh, difficult if we aren't construct reconstructing the bridges that are scheduled those odd-numbered streets. Um, I know that's a lot to take in. <laughs> Hopefully, um, you followed the, the train there that went around in a circle. Um, that's, that's the information we know right now. Do you have any questions for me that hopefully I can answer? And, and before Mayor Canvas, before we get started, I'll tell you that this has been an ever-changing project. Um, and the information that we have provided you today is the, the, the latest off the press from ODOT this afternoon. So, um, you know, we had the memo go out on Thursday, and we got news on Friday, and, and we're, we let ODOT know that we had a council meeting where these interim improvements would be considered tonight. Um, they were trying all they could do to try and get as much information to us by this meeting, but uh, I, I truly believe that ODOT is, is working extremely hard uh, trying to be able to get this project moving this this coming fall, if at all possible. And and so the reason why we wouldn't be able to start this fall is because of funding? Because we're waiting to hear how much ODOT will provide? Sure. Um, there, there's several reasons why we might not be able to start. Um, right now, timing is huge. Um, we had some time lapse between the time we received bids and now making uh, uh, issuing the intent to award. Every minute counts on this project as far as the in-water work period. So the contractor needs time to get all their materials um, uh, set for that in-water work period. Now that we've issued intent to award, it's the negotiations with the contractor of you know them issuing or um, preparing schedules. And, and starting to get some metals in. So there's that element, as well as getting the funding finalized and um, determining what process ODOT is gonna take. Does everything need to be set? Do, do all the um, agreement, agreements need to be signed between the city and ODOT? Does the money need to be deposited in order for them to award the project? Um, that all just takes time. We expect in the best case scenario, the, oh, that the contractor's on the ground on October 1st, and that is not that far away with all those things that need to happen. So, so there's a, a few complicating factors. So, Councilor Nemoa, one of the things that, you know, that 
we discussed, and this is something that became kind of a, a very, use the word, a very concrete thing in my mind, and is, is the fact that this bridge has concrete members uh, associated with it that take, that are pre-poured, pre-formed, and they have a time that they need to cure before they can even be put in place. And this whole issue factors in um, to the timing as well as how much time is there to get the, to build these, these called Lincoln logs, if you want to call them, that would be assembled on site. And ODOT is looking at, you know, even are there ways to be able to, um, to use different means to be able to make that curing process go, go faster. And that was a very real thing that that these the, the ODOT staff had been communicating to us that is critical on the timeline. And I, you know, I really I very much appreciate your work, um, Ms. Moore and um, Susan Brooks and Brett Estes. Um, and it has been really complicated. It sounds like I'm glad we could come up with more money and more skin in the game. But why wasn't the strategy to reduce the scope? of work um, implemented, you know, why are we just trying to come up with more money? Why aren't we just eliminating one or two of the bridges that are essentially bridges to nowhere? Um, if we were to do that, we would be faced with the continuing years of having to put in um, repairs just to be able to keep a structure standing. Um, and safe for pedestrians, for the trolley, and for vehicles to be able to gain access to the waterfront. This project um, allows all of the bridges to be able to be rebuilt, and we're not going to have these yearly expenses, which has in the past been in, you know, potentially in the hundreds of thousands of dollars, which are just to be able to keep old infrastructure standing. Another consideration, um, that's a great question, and one that we pondered and, and actually presented at ODOT. Um, it turns out that state statute allows local agencies to negotiate with a low bidder to fit, uh, reduce the scope to fit within your budget if you're in this situation. Uh, we found out that ODOT is specifically prohibited from doing that. They either have to award as is or cancel the project altogether. They can't negotiate with the low bidder. So that put us in a situation we didn't even realize existed um, with ODOT. But since this is an ODOT project and federally funded, we have to follow their rules. Well, that is ridiculous sounding. That's, that's too bad. Um, well, I hope that we don't have to spend over $100,000 for these interim repairs. It seems like such a waste of money, but we're really left with few options. Yeah, I was wondering, you know, assuming we get to afford on October 1st, at the previous meeting we you discussed about the interim repairs, and there were some questions out there at that time about um, one, for instance, uh, were you going to be able to separate the trolley trestle out from the bridges so that you could get an extension um, for the repairs to keep things open until October 1st. I was just wondering how that all turned out. That was one example, but there were some other issues that, that ODOT had that you were negotiating with them. 
Just again, assuming we can go forward on October 1st, where did all that kind of come down? Um, that's a good question. So I remember, um, and maybe somebody else can help me, but I remember we did have the question about the set that ODOT had September 1st as the deadline right. when our project was starting on October 1st. And we did go back to them and, and ask if that was something that we could um, have more inspections or if there was some way to keep it open until that October 1st. So we're assuming that they get replaced. And they came back and said, well, you can have a certain time from the, the notice, and that was September 15th. So they were willing to extend it to September 15th, but not all the way to October 1st. So if we hopefully are able to do start the project this year and the replacement project, then 11th and 11th and 7th will be closed September 15th, where we expected that those would be open until October 1st. ODOT also um, allowed us to use our consultants to look at the trestle as a somewhat sem uh, separate yet integrated um, structure. And our consultants has com have come back with these improvements that we've incorporated into the um, amount that was already awarded to Columbia Dockworks. So the, the trolley can remain in operation until the, the trestle is closed for replacement. Okay, all right, thank you. Hey, could we have a well, question? it's very annoying about ODOT not willing to give an extra two weeks or 10 days, whatever it works out to October 1st. It just seems really unreasonable. But otherwise, this is a multiplayer jingo jingle jingo puzzle and you've done well to keep it together everyone has so i would move that we authorize the city manager to sign a change order in the amount of one hundred and eighteen thousand dollars to two hundred seventeen one hundred eighteen thousand two hundred seventeen dollars with columbia dock works for the waterfront bridges repair project with the understanding that the change order would not be executed until it is officially determined that the bridge replacement project is delayed. Second. All those in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, the next uh, item on our agenda is a memorandum of understanding with the Friends of Alderbrook Park for the care and maintenance of Birchfield. So the Friends of Alderbrook Park was formed after the council was considering divesting some uh, park properties, including Birchfield, and residents of the Alderbrook neighborhood joined together to uh, support keeping the site a public facility and agreeing to take on some maintenance and care responsibilities. There have been negotiations between the Friends of Alderbrook Park and the city, and uh, a memorandum of agreement was developed with a five-year commitment with the responsibilities noted in the memo. I would note that the Parks and Recreation Advisory Board has reviewed this and has recommended the City Council approve this agreement. It's recommended that the Council approve the maintenance and care proposal by the Friends of Alderbrook Park and authorize the Mayor to sign the memorandum of agreement. Questions? Discussion? Motion? I just want to uh, make a comment. Lisa Morley's not here because she works out of town during the week, but she's kind of been the leader of uh, the effort working with the Parks and Rec Department to get any memorandum drafted. And also, more importantly, she's put several thousand dollars of her own money over the last several months into 
kids' playground equipment, you know, uh, activities. Um, she's rented a movie screen and movies for three movie nights now that have been held in the park. And uh, I, I heard someone mention David Reed, who's in one of our Albrook neighbors that you all know, said he's never seen more people in Albrook Park in the last three months than he has in the last five years. It's really been an amazing turnaround. So this is a tremendous effort, and I would uh, move that we authorize the mayor to sign the attached MOA. All those in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? Okay. Uh, the next item <coughs> is, and, and yes, I want to thank the member, the uh, citizens of, of uh, Alderbrook because that they have taken on a park, and just like McClure did uh, in the McClure Park area, the neighbors took it on, and uh, we we need that kind of community support, and it's much appreciated. Uh, the next item is the Arts and Cultural Program Grant Recipient Request. Every year, the Arts and Cultural Subcommittee, which is a subcommittee to the Budget Committee, recommends distributions of promote Astoria funds to the Budget Committee, and the promote Astoria funds come from room tax collections. Each application contains the intended scope and a proposed budget for uh, each project which the organization seeks funding. The Clatsop Community College Foundation received a fiscal year 2017-18 grant in the amount of $1,000 for the development and marketing of a historic preservation field school. As was indicated from the Director's Foundation in a letter provided to Council, their ability to offer the field school was not possible during our last fiscal year. The letter proposes utilizing those funds during the 2018-19 academic year to promote hands-on preservation workshops. So it's recommended tonight that Council review the request from the Platzen Community College Foundation and provide direction to staff as far as uh, the desired action. Well, I'm in favor of uh, allowing them to continue to use it for the the hands-on preservation. I, I think that the historic preservation program that the college uh, has been carrying on has really been a great asset to this town. A lot of work's been done. They, uh, <coughs> their classes go out there and uh, students volunteer all around town uh, helping bring forward uh, historical preservation and this is just a way to help support that and I think that's the intent and I would like to support that. I'm in support. Me too. Well I'd like to make a motion that we um, uh, accept the request of Classic Community College Foundation to use the grant in the amount of $1,000 to promote hands-on preservation workshops in this Second. All those in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? Thank you. Okay. Uh, liquor license application from Kenneth Booth. A liquor license application has been filed for Busu LLC by Kenneth Booth. And uh, the application is for a new outlet for limited on-premise sales and an off-premise sales license. Uh, the site is located at 275 11th Street. Uh, in downtown Astoria. The various departments have reviewed the application. No objections were noted. It's recommended that council consider this request. 
I have a potential conflict of interest. I need to declare my husband has a business that sells alcohol, uh, Cervasia Gratis, doing business at Fort George Brewery. I know we approved the liquor license application from uh, Busu LLC. Second. All those in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? Okay, and the last item is disposition of Mill Pond Village lots. Jimmy, I'm going to ask you if you'd go to the slide on start of the presentation. So in 2012, the late Mark DeMiro and Venable Properties, who was the developer of the Mill Pond Village, donated the pier lots, which are the 12 over water lots as shown on the map on the screen, uh, to, the, to the city of Astoria. Those lots have never uh, been developed. The intention at the time for the donation was to help fund the development of Heritage Square and it was hoped that the lots would sell for market value and make a significant contribution to the project. In 2013, the city listed the lots as part of their program to sell excess properties. However, no offer was received at that time and the properties were taken off the market in 2014 when the city council canceled the property sales program. During the last budget hearing process, the city council as well as the budget committee um, expressed some interest in revisiting the potential sale of the lot since this item is being brought forward tonight um, as a part of the last budget committee process. So there has been some interest in purchasing the lots by individual homeowners uh, within the area as well as a potential home buyer directly south of the lots. And, no formal offer has been made there, but the intention in these cases has been to be able to make them undoable to preserve views. Staff has outlined three possibilities for council consideration and discussion. And this is first, continue owning the property and paying the homeowners association's fees annually in hopes the value of the lots would increase in the future. The second one is advertise the lots again to the general public or list with a real estate agent as was done in 2013 with or without a minimum bid. Or three, direct staff to contact the Mill Pond Village Homeowners Association Board of Directors or individual adjacent property owners to determine if there's any interest on those lots and if should there be any interest, return to the council with a proposal or a recommendation for sale. So tonight, staff is recommending the council consider these options and provide direction as to how the council would like to be able to proceed. And Jeff Parrington, our Public Works Director, manages uh, property sales uh, for the city, is wearing his hat as Public Works Director, and he's glad to answer any questions you have. Uh, well, it appears, if, in my knowledge, it is sort of common practice that the city offers first right of refusal to neighbors of city-owned property, and so I like option number three. Is that, is that, I mean, is that, is that standard procedure? Um, we, we've only, we've only put properties up for sale once in my history here, and that was in 2013, where we reached out, we put them on the market, but made direct contact. Um, our policy uh, right now is um, we don't uh, market lots uh, at all. So it's, it's uh, individuals who would, who would be interested can reach out and contact the Public Works Department. Uh, but our past history has been 
when we have wanted to put uh, properties on the market is to make that contact to initially to adjacent property owners. Yeah, I wouldn't have a problem with that, Council Price, um, though I would kind of a combination of two and three say, let's put them on the market, can we put them on the market and with the caveat that there's the first right of refusal or to purchase by the neighbors, but let's get them on the market. Well, that would be my sense too, because if we just offer it to any homeowner in Mill Pond, and I don't think we could target an individual homeowner, we'd have to say any homeowner within a certain, define, we have to define a geographic boundary. If you live within this street to this street, you get a right of first refusal. But what, for what, how, what price? I mean, yes. how do you determine market value unless you put it on the market? So, so here's, let's say, um, for instance, when there we had the real estate agent representing us, um, the real estate agent went and contacted adjacent property and said, hey, just so you know, these properties are on the market. And then they entertained offers. And it, it was not locked in at first come, first serve. And, and actually, the way our city code works is, let's say, um, um, in this case, property owner A makes an offer. We bring it to city council. It's a public hearing. Property owner B, C, and D can make offers to the city council at the meeting. It's up to council as to who they can sell it as per our city code. So um, it's, it doesn't get locked in. It's uh, even up to the public, through the public hearing process, um, anyone can come in and make an offer at, the, at, that, at that time. I think we should try to get as much money as we can from these lots. Whether or not anybody would put in an offer, though, considering what happened last time we tried to market them is unknown. So I would support putting them on the market with no minimum bid. Um, I mean, Art Tamira left us this, this property so that we could raise money for the redevelopment of Heritage Square. So, you know, we should honor that gift. Try to recoup as much as we possibly can. And we need to, we need to do this. We need to stop paying HOA fees. So, something that, uh, you know, I really look at the difference in item two and item three is, do you want staff to to be able to make the contact or do you want to hire a real estate agent? That's really kind of the, the, the difference between the two. So that's my question is, what's the cost of number two? Because we're already paying for something we can't use. Well, if you have a real estate agent, you're factoring in commission. But are there, other than commission, are there other fees involved? Um, we would have to. We would have to research the whole process. I know that last time when we hired a real estate agent, we actually went out and actually had to solicit uh, bids from real estate agents who wanted to represent the city. Uh, it was a fairly complex process. Can, can I ask a question? How, how much have we paid so far in homeowners association fees? It's over $50,000. If they were to be listed and they don't sell, would we then have another meeting to discuss the next steps, or should we go ahead and discuss what the next step would be now so that we understand what the next step would be? I, I would entertain just right now, you know, having direction if you want to look at, at uh, selling the properties, get that direction. 
Well, I mean, I would agree that since the original intent all along, I believe those lots were platted out, and so that people who bought lots within that development would have seen those on the map and knew that those lots existed and could be built. So it's been, it's a known thing that those lots exist and could potentially be built someday. And that was the intent when it was given to the city was to use the proceeds for Heritage Square. I think we should put them on the market and see what happens. Well, I, I tend to side, I mean, go with option three. Um, one of the problems with these lots, as I understand it, is that a pier has to be built out and the, all of the houses have to be built at the same time. Um, I think the chances of that happening are pretty rare. I agree. So I, I don't know. I, I think the best procedure would be to go to the individual adjacent property owners and see if they're interested in preserving their view primarily. We can do that and also reach out to the homeowners association as well, see um, their appetite for purchasing. Then what would be the process whereby we would decide either decide on the price or accept a? And then we would follow the the municipal code that's in place. That if there's an offer that could be negotiated by staff, um, it's brought to the city council to determine whether or not you wish to entertain that. And then if you do wish to entertain that that potential sale, a public hearing is set, and we provide provide notice to the public hearing, and then there's a public hearing where then the public can have discussion and additional offers could be made. And that's that's as specified in our in our municipal code principle. And if we got and then if we got no offers for instance, then we would move forward. We would, we would take it out, put it on the market. We would. I would come back to the city council for but that. Would be potentially the next move. Right. Then get a realtor and take it. We could do that as, as another option. I, I, I'll tell you that that staff is comfortable with option number three. That's probably our our preferred option is to go that route first and see what comes of the discussions, and then. Um, there's no interest, then we can come back to city council and, and look at, at other considerations. But ultimately, that option is one where the neighbor, the, the neighbors would probably be interested in buying a lot to preserve a view, and would be willing to pay far less than a developer would be willing to pay for developing those lots, right? And so it just. You know, it, it seems like, and you know, as Councillor Jones mentioned, you know, these lots have always been on the map. You know, they've always, it's, it's not as though developing over a mill pond is something new. It's something that was always planned. It's, it's not as though someone would be coming along saying, hey, <laughs> I want to build something and block your view, and this is new information. You know, this was always planned. Um, so, you know, I, I could, you know, I could go along and support number three, but it seems like there's pretty, pretty big opportunity costs not to at least try to put them on the market, list with the realtor, and see if we could get more money. But it seems like I might be outnumbered. Let me ask, I want to ask a quick question to the city attorney. Where, um, last time when we hired a realtor to do the larger 
sale of the the properties we had a process whereby um, realtors responded to requests for qualifications or some sort of a process um, if we were to hire a real estate agent for a singular property like this could staff just negotiate that with a singular realtor or does it have to go out for a larger process like last time you mean how we well, I mean, I mean, if let's say the council said to staff, we, we want to hire a realtor to market these properties. Can the city just immediately go in and negotiate with a, a realtor company, or is there a process by which we'd have to go through to select that realtor? Well, I would suggest we probably use an informal process and get um, what he said was he would suggest we do a request for an informal request for quotes like we would do for any other types of public works project where we put a notice out and get responses. So my interest is not uh, in number three is not in preserving views but in preserving time and money. We're racking up HOA charges every month. There are many lots that are available on the side of the mill pond which are larger than these logs and, and presumably because you don't have to build a, a $3 million pier to put uh, or two $3 million pier, piers to use them would be somewhat cheaper <coughs> than, than these houses would be. Uh, so I think the, uh, you know, the idea that, that somebody's going to come and snap these up for anything other than preserving views is pretty unreasonable, at least probably in, in the next, I don't know, 10 or 15 years until engineering standards develop uh, quite differently. So that's why I think number three is uh, the most cost-effective for us and uh, gets them off our, our payroll, all of our funds. Anybody want to say anything else or do we have a motion? Yeah, I don't know how we're, we're split. I mean, I'm, I kind of favor having them listed and let the local residents also make an offer as well. But I'm not, it's not something I'm going to be upset about one way or the other. So I'd probably go for a listing with an agent. If only one other person feels that way, then we should, I guess we're going to go with three. That almost sounded like a motion. <laughs> sure, I'll move that we uh, advertise the, uh, or that we direct council, direct staff to list the properties with an agent. Second. All those in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? No. Aye. So uh, staff will uh, work uh, to go through the process of uh, um, getting a realtor on deck and move forward on uh, marketing the properties. Okay, that concludes our agenda. So any of you have uh, in the public have uh, comments you want to make if you do come to the come to the uh, to the uh, microphone please I had no intention of being here tonight but <laughs> my name is Cheryl Story and I'm the chair of the Mill Pond HOA at this time until they vote me out um, <laughs> So it's interesting about the pond lots, or the, we call them the pier lots. 
because we don't know what to do about them either. Because in the architecture guidelines, um, what happens is, is those pier lots, each one of them, is supposed to have a garage as, as well as a house. So how do you get six garages out there on the pier lots with a, with a condominium or something like that? And then once they're built, they're going to be a separate HOA. So we are actually very interested in trying to figure out how to mitigate the issues the city has with them. Because um, we found out other developers have found it's not cost effective because garages with a, um, a house, you've got a 900 square foot place, and you sell it for, what, seven or $800,000? I don't know how much it is. I'm not a developer, I'm not a landscape person, but we are interested in trying to figure out how to just get rid of this issue because we think the city paying the HOA fees or the no-build fees doesn't make sense either. So we'd like to make it a win-win on both sides. Thank you. Thank you. Make us an offer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, one of the other things we're trying to figure out is how, what? It's got to go up to the real estate agent first now. Oh, I get that, but you know, and, and the real estate agents, but other people that own those individual lots around the pond are finding out how much the um, post cost to put in the um, water and they're that's why they're for sale because they can't do it um, the only reason we haven't really pursued it further is we'd like to take it out of the plats meaning the off the tax rolls so if the HOA can figure out how to um, reimburse the city for the lots and take the lots off the tax rolls that would be that's the win that we're looking for Okay, anyone else? Okay, thank you very much. Meeting is adjourned. Oh, now we have Astoria Development Commission. We will recess for that. <laughs>